0: It was the year 399 BC, brethren, Socrates was on trial. In the midst of that trial, he stated this, the unexamined life is not worth living. Let me say that again, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now that's underscored by scripture by the way. I don't know how many of you remember but during the days of unleavened bread we are reminded are we not to examine thyself. In both areas first and second Corinthians we're told essentially especially at the time of Passover prior to going into making that rededication of your life as a converted Christian to take some time. Evaluate yourself. And how are you doing? Are there areas that you could perhaps improve on? What is it that I'm just missing, that I'm not really achieving, accomplishing? What are the objectives, the spiritual objectives in my life with regard to improving my behavior so that it'll be more correlated with the example of Jesus Christ? I want to examine us today in light of Romans 14. If you want a title for this sermon, very simply Romans 14. I want to take a moment and go ahead and and look at ourselves in light of what this particular chapter in the book of Romans has to offer. It's a very Loaded chapter with a lot of information, and it is a one of my favorite chapters because it's a chapter that provides some very pragmatic, pragmatic behavior that, if and in, indeed is followed, and is indeed actually embraced and is executed in one's life, is a key. the development of very substantive love. It is foundational to love, that is the proper expression of it, because it gives you some pragmatic behavioral advice that really kind of puts the test to the pudding, if you know what I mean. They always say, you know, proof's in the pudding. Well, you know, people talk a big talk, but oftentimes we find from time to time, don't we? They don't really walk the walk. And unfortunately, that oftentimes is too much the case. But over here in Romans, I want to turn your attention over here. And just real quickly, Uh, bring your attention to chapter 12 and 13 and 14 12 and 13 by the way lead up to and set the stage for chapter 14 because for all intents and purposes there's a continuum here in chapter 12 he starts out with the fact of you being a living sacrifice and he directs your attention to being willing to sacrifice yourself to sacrifice your life on behalf of Jesus Christ that's what it's all about as you go ahead and read through chapter 12 you'll see that in verse 9 commences an awful lot of advice on, for instance, let love be without dissimulation. All that means without pretending. In other words, make sure the expression of your love is sincere. It's genuine. Well, that's nice. What does that mean? Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Well, that's that's good too. What does that mean? What's good? What's evil? Some people think, as I've often said, running airplanes into buildings is good, but they're doing God a service. You know. He goes on, be kindly affectionate one to another, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Don't be slothful in business, fervent in spirit. And he goes on throughout this whole thing. And in chapter thirteen, he begins to summarize as he goes down through a little bit of governmental talk. He digresses a little, but he comes back to his topic in verse ten. Kind of sums it up before he concludes there in chapter thirteen, in verse ten. He says, "Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love." is the fulfilling of the law. So what's that mean? Love is the fulfilling of the law. Do I need to feel all warm and fuzzy for some reason? Uh, Do I need to be really genteel? Uh, Do I need to be somewhat sissified? What what, what do it mean? Love fulfills the law. He's going to tell you. Chapter 14 really begins to get into a lot of the meat of attempting to try to explain just what the fulfilling of this affection that he calls agape is all about. And it's a great chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters uh, in in all due respect for what it uh, has to offer in terms of its content and its pragmatism. He says here in verse 1, and we're going to go through this whole chapter line upon line here, and hopefully we'll get through it uh, before my time runs out. Verse 1, he says, him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, He who is without strength, he who's feeble in the faith, you could easily come to the conclusion this is someone obviously that is rather new or maybe just not really developed well enough yet. Maybe he's been around for a while. Maybe she's been warming a seat for a while. But they're still kind of struggling a little bit with this, that, and the other thing. He says, look, be sensitive, is what he's appealing for here. He's saying, be on the lookout, watch out. And he says, him that is weak in the faith will see you, but not to doubtful disputations. In other words, accept them, embrace them, even though they may not understand a lot. Maybe this individual is in here only because they've come to recognize that Saturday is the Sabbath, period. That's all they know. And now they come into our midst, and there they are. Oh, 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 oh. when will I tell them about this, that, and the other thing? And they get scared and run out and never show back up. Because they're saying, Whoa, I didn't know it was all that involved. So Paul is saying, Look, embrace them, but not, not to doubtful disputations. Now, watch where he goes in verse 2. Look at this. He gets a little bit clearer on this. For one believes that he may eat all things, another is, uh, who is weak eats only herbs. He's a, ve- a vegan. Another one eats meat. Or as some have spun the scripture, aha, you see Bill? There you go. You can eat anything. You can eat mice. You can eat rats. You can eat gorilla. You can eat anything you want to eat. You can eat a dog. You can eat a cat. There it is right there. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. You see, the fact of it is, a person who is feeble, not familiar, weak, without strength, may not know that information. And guess what? They may still be eating lobster. They may still be eating mussels, clam chowder. They may still be eating a lot of things that you would be outraged over if you ate it or somebody forced you to eat it. But the fact of it is, this, I remember a story when I first came in the, uh, to uh, the Church of God International some years ago, and we were in a congregational meeting and this individual, he would bring pork, uh, a pork dish to all the potlucks. All the potluck, now in the worldwide Church of God, he'd never get away with that. But I know it. I said the church got international. See, he'd bring these these uh, pork dishes, and nobody would eat them. And he wondered. He said, "But what, why don't anybody eat?" I tell him, "I said, you know, we don't eat pork." But he wouldn't get it. Matter of fact, we went to a combined service, came back from southern Ohio, stopped at a restaurant. A bunch of us did for a uh, a dinner together as a group, and uh, he filled his plate with frog legs. <laughs> everybody's looking at him, you know, he didn't know, he, he just, that was, that was the what he did. Well then one day, about a year, maybe two, I don't know, I forget now exactly, but he comes into church, and he was a big guy, six foot three, I'm only five foot eight, five, nine, with my shoes on, and he says, he, he says, Bill, is looking down at me, he says, Bill, something happened to me last night, and I said, what happened, he says, had his ham sandwich last night while I was watching TV, I said, you did, he said, yep, I almost choked to death, <laughs> He says, that's it. No more pork. You know, he took it as an omen that he shouldn't be eating pork. But hey, whatever works. You know, The point of it is, though, this is what we need to understand from the standpoint of the fact that don't get in God's way. Don't get in God's way. Give people some time to grow at their pace. So often we want to intervene and try to explain or uh, teach when in fact teaching is a a little bit perhaps premature for these individuals at the pace that they're on. I want to digress over to 1 Timothy chapter four, just as an illustration here in lieu of the fact of talking about clean and unclean meats and getting this straight in our minds, for those of you who may not even be that familiar with it, but nevertheless is in your Bible and certainly is very biblical uh, in many regards, if for no other reason, what Paul says to Timothy right here when he lays down this particular guideline. He says in chapter four of verse two, speaking lies hypocrisy breaking into the context talking about latter days and so on he says having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry he's giving advice to Timothy and commanding to abstain from meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving oh God thank you for this great dog you gave me. I appreciate the fact it's got so much meat and we've got cat for dessert. (laughs) Some people will... I've talked to people who said, Bill, you can eat anything nowadays. Now, when you get out of the culture and you start talking about mice and gorillas and rats and so on and cheetahs, uh, it's a whole different story because they don't think along those lines. But the fact of it is, what you're being uh, told here by Paul is that's not what he's uh, leaning to or guiding us into. He says here in verse 4, and this is what most people um, don't, uh, don't read uh, continuing, verse 5, I'm sorry, he says herefore it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. What's sanctified mean? Set apart. Where do you find the meats set apart? Fish and birds and animals of different sorts. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. God's manual is very clear on this. Very uh, definitive in terms of what he knows is digestible and right and good for all of us to be partakers of in his word. But obviously in many cases, uh, many people don't look at that because even some cases, as we know, uh, some will say that the Old Testament is not even relevant uh, in today's day and age, that Jesus mailed all that stuff to the cross, which is just unfortunately a real uh, fallacy. But back here to Romans 14. We go on here. He says let uh not him, verse 3 now, that eats, despise him that eats not. And let not him which eats not judge him that eats, for God has received him. And here's the point, brethren, if somebody decides within God's law, of course, and within the structured understanding that we have and talking along those lines, and Paul's going to get into also another aspect of this, in that some were eating meats, clean meats, but were offered unto to idols, and for the sake of time, I'll reference 1 Corinthians chapter 8, only to illustrate to you that there were people, Christians, in the Christian community, that were indeed eating clean meats, but they were offered previously to perhaps some idol, and down in the shambles, that's what they were called, in the meat markets, they would have blue light specials you could get meat real cheap. So some of the Christians were down there buying the meat cheap. Not unclean meat. Clean meat. But the fact of it was some people were being offended in the church by that because they said it was offered to an idol. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as you read through it, and I'll just paraphrase it, he goes through this exercise of explaining that we all know an idol's nothing. You walk into a room with a Christmas tree in it, does that make you unclean? Does that somehow contaminate you? A cross that we have, I think it's still here behind the the set here. You know, because we're meeting in a room with a cross on the wall, does that mean somehow it's contaminating us? Or if we had a Catholic priest walk through the door, or some kind of minister from another denomination, does that somehow make us unclean or common? Of course not. And Paul is saying it doesn't the meat doesn't really, doesn't really in any way, shape, or form, contaminate you and those of you who are stronger in the faith know that. But there's the point. If indeed, if indeed it causes my brother to be offended. Read it there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, guess what? Don't buy that meat in front of them. Why? Give them time to come and gravitate toward them. You see, what Romans 14, brethren, is all about is it's about the three C's. The three C's very important with regard to love. Without these three C's, the three C's, you don't really have love. If you have love, you will have these three C's. No doubt about it. Without it, you're just full of hot air. Because in many respects, you can say all you want, that I love you, I, I am really with you, and all of this. But if you don't have the three C's underscoring on your foundation of agape, you are missing the definition of what biblical love is all about. You know what they are? Courtesy. Consideration and carry. Now there may be some others that you might think, but those three are very, very important. What the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 is talking to, and what he is attempting to appeal for, and what he is actually admonishing and explaining and attempting to guide, direct, and provide Consider it, and how to really care. And if it would cause your brother or sister to have problems with some liberty that you might take, Paul's recommendation forgo it for the time. Eschew it for the time. It's no big deal. I'm out with a brother, and I'm having. In a restaurant, the opportunity to have a meal with him. But he's an alcoholic. I'm not. I like a little adult beverage. I like a little wine. I might even drink a beer. I won't get drunk. But I'll drink alcohol. But what Paul is saying is look, don't do that if it may offend him. Watch this, he he continues on here. It's really interesting as he goes through this because he's trying to make this point as he makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and do read that, that's homework. Uh, you'll you'll see how this 1 Corinthians 8 with the uh, meats that were offered to uh, idols uh, plays into this as a substantiation of what Paul's trying to address here in Romans 14. And he tries to... Um, uh, lay this, uh, he underpins this attitude of consideration, courtesy, and care with this in mind. Verse 4, who are you that judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Big point, verse 4, big point. Guess what? You're not my servant. I'm not your minister. Oh, I serve you, and we serve one another, but I answer to God as you answer to God. I'm not your judge, and far be it from any of us to judge one another based on what we allow in our lives. The principle of extrapolation comes into play here in a modern day and age that we live in as we proceed through this chapter and you'll see what I'm talking about here in a moment. Let's go on in verse 5. He says, "So one man he decides or he distinguishes. That's what the word esteem means in the Greek. He he decides. One man decides. I decide." one day above another. Another, he decides, or he distinguishes every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And you're going to see exactly what he's talking about here with regards to this particular context of his discussion. But some people will pull this out of of context and claim that, you see, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. If I choose to keep Sunday, or like some of my uh, Protestant friends that I've worked with over the course of my life and I've talked to, they say, what What do you mean Sabbath day? Come on, this is the 21st century. Any day's the Sabbath day. whatever convenient, whatever works out for you. If it's a Tuesday, if it's a Wednesday, if it's a Friday, it doesn't matter because here, Romans 14 verse five gives you the license to do that. Now, somebody weak in faith, who doesn't have background, who doesn't have perhaps some study time that they put in into their lives, may find themselves thrown a little bit of a curveball here with this. Because they find that, well, maybe this this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing to rationalize. But always look for context, brethren. Always look for context. Context is king in, in all areas. Notice now, he goes on. He says here, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that observes, that's what regard means in the Greek, it observes. He that observes the day observes it unto the Lord. And he that observes not the day, to the Lord he does not regard it or observe it he that eats ah, all right so maybe one guy is observing for a fast and he chooses on Tuesday to fast well this other guy he's going to eat he's not fasting eats, he says here, and eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not to the Lord, he eats not and gives God thanks. So if I choose to fast on Wednesday and you choose not to, does that make me more righteous? (laughs) Why, not only do I fast on Wednesday, I fast on Wednesday and Thursday. And if I'm in real good health, guess what? I may even go all the way to Friday! Friday! What have you done? (laughs) You know. But let's extrapolate a little bit. Let's take a person in here who comes in, they're halfway convinced about the Sabbath, halfway convinced about the Sabbath, but they have a mate, husband and or wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, who is a staunch Catholic, staunch Presbyterian, a staunch Anglican, still keeping Sunday. And so the individual who's here in our midst on a Sabbath day, halfway, 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 halfway convinced that Sabbath is the day of rest, Still goes to church on Sunday with his mate just to cover all the bases. (laughs) Keep all the bases covered, you know. Because they haven't come along yet. They're still observing. They've decided they're not fully convinced yet. And so they're taking these little baby steps one by one. Well, how about the Christmas party at work? Should I or shouldn't I attend? should I or shouldn't I accept the bon- the Christmas bonus at work these are questions that sometimes Christians come up with uh, which in some cases some Christians say no I'm not taking it while other Christians may say give me more <laughs> I wish Christmas was happening every weekend you know <laughs> why Is Christmas. It doesn't mean anything to me, no more than the idol of Diana means anything to me. The bonus does, and I worked hard for it. So give me the bonus. And if I have to attend the Christmas party, guess what? I'll attend it. But somebody might say, Bill, how could you do that? You see. And this is kind of what you get into the days of unleavened bread. A mate whose mate doesn't share the faith. How do they get along? How do they work through the days of unleavened bread? Or one who's still eating pork and the other mate doesn't because she or he's in the church. Should she or should he still cook the pork for her or for him? These are very subjective questions, brethren, that you as a Christian, in light of Romans 14, look what Paul is saying. He's saying watch the judgments and watch how you handle individuals, because if you polarize, here's the point, if you polarize, if you cause alienation, you've lost them. You've lost them. Now, we're not talking about compromising. We're not talking about compromising here. But what we are talking about is being... Wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And in the best way that we can, do the best we can, reflect the forgiveness and the tolerance and the courtesy and the consideration and the care for that one who still just doesn't get it for whatever reason. You can take this brethren on in other areas, voting. Should I or shouldn't I vote? If I have the opportunity, if and I'm just rhetorically saying, if I have the opportunity where I could vote abortion out of the laws of the United States, out of the laws of Canada, would I not vote against that if I could vote against it? Some Christians would say, absolutely not. I don't get involved in politics. If I could keep a strip joint out of my neighborhood to protect my kids in my neighborhood, can I, in a civic duty fashion, as a Christian, go and vote against that strip joint? Some Christians say no. 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 Could a Christian be a policeman and carry a gun? Could a Christian be a mayor of a city a politician. Brother George, let me remind you, is an ambassador for Jamaica. <laughs> That's right. Brother George is in politics. Ah, no judging. No judging. You see what I'm saying? Paul is on mark here. Watch him. Watch him, brethren. He continues. He says in verse 7, For none of us live to himself. No man dies to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or dead, we're the Lord's. Some will spin that and say, You see, you do go to heaven. Because when you're dead, you're in the Lord. No. If you understand the rest of the scriptures, you see that death is nothing more than sleep. But does that mean you're no more in the hands of the Lord? No. The Lord knows where you are. He knows where that little id is. He knows where that little disc is. Or as it used to be characterized back in the day, a tape that will be reinserted into a body, becoming embodied in the resurrection, coming back to life. So even in death, you, as an individual, your persona is known of God. And certainly we who are Christians and are alive are unto the Lord. So he says here, verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living why do you judge your brother? He goes back, he redresses, he's trying to make this point. He's trying to say, using these metrics, using these references, using these pragmatic examples of trying to explain, look, we're all different, and God works with us at different levels, at different speeds. Not only that, but we are of different races, different ethnicities, different educational backgrounds. We are of different genders. We are females, we are males, and some are even confused about that. But that's another story. And we are all different types. We're fat, we're tall, we're short. We have all different kinds of things. We grown up with, that have impacted us to be what we are, and so what consequently Paul is saying is, look, give God space to work with His people so that they can be maximized for His glory. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. It's not for my glory. It's not for your glory. It's for God's glory, and if they're slow learners, so be it. Some of them maybe could be fast learners, and maybe they are, but they're not gifted in certain ways. So does that mean they're not learning as fast as you think they are? Oh no, watch out for them sleepers. There's a lot of good people that may not be gifted in the extroverted way, but a lot of good sleepers that are strong in the faith, dedicated to prayer, hopeful for good things to happen to God's people. And they sit in the background, maybe in the shadows, so to speak, not in the limelight, but nevertheless, they're there, pulling for the sick, pulling for the young people, pulling for marriages and couples that they find out through discussing with them through their relationships, they're having a little bit of trouble here and there. They've got their prayer closets and their, as they say, locker rooms. He goes on, he says here in verse 10, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account to himself. Uh, of himself I'm sorry of himself to God let us not therefore judge one another anymore and he comes back now trying to redress kind of still stay on point he's like laser beam sharp he's not letting this go he wants uh, obviously these folks in the congregation at Rome to begin to back off and back down on some of their subjective judgments among one another for whatever reasons that obviously in some cases about about foods that were being bought perhaps in the shambles clean meats but some were accepting it while others were not and he had some issues here that he was dealing with uh, on that level but certainly very applicable to our day and age with regards to um, how we can apply some of these things he says this though in 13 and this is important brother Notice how he redresses this because every time he redresses it he comes back with some some little additional gold Golden nugget he says this verse 13 let me reread let us not therefore therefore let us not judge one another anymore but judge this rather okay here we go courtesy consideration care courtesy consideration care here he goes Watch what he says judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block, or an occasion to fall, in his brother's way. Wow. Wow. So what I'm really looking for here is how not to be offensive to my brothers and sisters. How can I be a real help to them? What is it that I could bring to the table that could perhaps uh, help them along? Maybe I could uh, develop a relationship with them, for one, (laughs) so so I could have an access to talk. Because discussions and edification, usually, if you're going to make progress in those areas, play off of good relationships. With good relationships, you can take certain liberties because guess what? You get to know each other a little bit better. You know the body language. You know the eye contact you know the words that are used. You get comfortable with each other. You know how to read each other. You know how to perceive each other. So there's less reason or cause for misinterpretation or uh, uh, motives or malice involved in the uh, discussions. But Paul is appealing. Look, watch that you don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother. Now, I know, he says in verse 14, and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing, and here's to the point that I was mentioning to you about those clean meats that were offered unto idols. The Greek word here is used, unclean, but it could also be common. And so, essentially, these are sacrificial meats that are now ceremonially unclean. They're ceremonially. Unclean, he says. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean or common of itself. And you could read about this uh, going back to Peter's dream. Remember Peter's dream in Acts ten, Acts ten uh, with the Italian um, uh, and the and. Uh, Cornelius, that's right, thank you. And uh, all of the uh, dream that he had with the unclean and common. There was two distinctive animals there. The common is ceremonially unclean. And the other, of course, is unclean. Uh, That would go against Leviticus 11 and, and Deuteronomy 14. But here Paul comes back to this issue about these clean meats that were offered to idols that are now considered by some Christians who, let's face it, the early New Testament church was made up of what? mostly Jews, Jews, Benjamites from from that area so they were well aware of and well in tune with clean and unclean, common and uncommon And so, for all intents and purposes, Paul's talking here to to these Gentiles, as well as some Jews, I'm sure that we're in this congregation of Rome, saying, look, but to him that esteems anything to be common, to him, let him have it. If it's common, I can't eat that, Bill. I can't eat it. Margie, is there some peanut butter and jelly we can give this guy? I can't eat it. I won't eat that beef because it was offered to Diana. Paul is talking in this regard, telling them, Look, let them understand it the way they do. And he's gonna he's gonna conclude this chapter with a very important point that he'll make. And he will actually provide a second definition of sin. All of you know what sin is, right? Transgression of God's law. Right? transgression of God's law there's a second second meaning of course in James in James and in James that second meaning is for him to know to do good and not to do it is a sin that's a sin if you know to do good, you know it you you see it you understand exactly what it is to do good but you don't do it that's the sin of omission And then there's a third one we're going to come up on here in a moment as Paul will conclude on that. But nevertheless, verse 15, I get ahead of myself. Verse 15, going back. But if your brother be grieved with your meat... Now, let's extrapolate figuratively speaking. If I'm grieved with the meat... And there's certain things that I can avoid doing in front of this individual who is still weak in the faith. He's not developed, he's not there yet to where he would understand that really what I'm doing is not wrong or considered by God to be wrong, but yet for him, it still may be. You see, that's what Paul's addressing. And so he says here, If your brother be grieved with your meat, now walkest you not charitably. Destroy not him with what you allow. Because if you do, you're not courteous. If you do, you're not considerate. If you do, you really don't care. You're indifferent. You're ambivalent. You're disconnected. You're detached. You're selfish. (laughs) Self-centered. You don't really care about that person. What Paul is appealing for, brethren, be sensitive. Get your eyes off yourself and be cognizant of who you're talking to and where they're at so that you can address them if you're the stronger one on their level and vice versa don't get in God's way don't get in God's way he says here as we go on in verse 16 let not then your good be evil spoken of oh yeah there's Bill I just saw him come out of a jazz club can you believe that Bill Watson the minister of the church of God he's coming out of a jazz club at two o'clock in the morning Wow he drunk? (laughs) These are things, brethren, we have to be aware of and, and watch. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that... these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another for meat destroys not the work of God all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eats with offense. Okay, here we go. We're getting to the crux now, and we're moving down toward that definition I was telling you about. So you see, brethren, though you may think this individual now who's been dry for 13 years, and but has recently been baptized, true story, true story. And she was an alcoholic, dry for 13 years, going to AA on a regular basis. She was clean and sober, 13 years. Got baptized and a man in God's church said, you don't need those AA classes anymore. You've got God's Holy Spirit. Go ahead, come on, let's have a glass of wine. There is a man in total violation and not knowing what he had, what he's dealing with in terms of alcoholics, or any substance abuser. Today, she's drinking again, and never has gone back to being sober. We have to be cognizant of not allowing our meat To be overbearing and overwhelming on those who still are in learning are still feeble in their faith are still getting background and context and trying to catch up to speed to build that belief system that underscores what you and I may allow in our lives as being okay and allowable but for them may not necessarily be so Be cognizant, more so, away from yourself and more on them. Consideration, courtesy, care. Verse 21, uh, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So there I am at a church member and that we're going to go out and they're a vegan and don't eat meat. They think maybe meat is wrong. Guess what? I'm going to eat vegetable. I think I'll just have a salad, maybe some soup and water. (laughs) You know, just so that I would not allow, if indeed that would be a big deal for them uh, to, to experience. Verse 22 now, have you faith, have it to yourself before God, happy is he. This is a great line. If you don't get anything out of this sermon, remember this scripture. This is a great scripture. Verse 22, have you faith, you have faith. Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he that condemns not himself in that which he allows. And that even goes for your good. That even goes for your good. Don't let your good, didn't he say? Don't let your good be spoken evil of. Consideration, courtesy, and care. Very important. Characteristics, very important aspects to the characteristic of agape, love. Verse 23, here's that definition. He that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Number three meaning you can't force your faith on somebody. You can't legislate faith. That's why church organizations who attempt to try and dictate to their constituents to do this, that, or the other thing. You can't wear makeup. You can wear makeup. Your dress needs to be below your knees or mid knee. You know, guys can't wear sideburns longer than a half inch. And all these types of things, of which we have organizations in the Sabbath keeping community that still are doing that. Far be it from me if I say from up here, because I'm not going to not stop preaching the gospel, and the Bible says if a man wears long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if he's got a problem with that, don't throw him out of the church. Let him alone. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians there. Let him come. And then lo and behold, hopefully, sooner or later, he'll get the message that guess what? Jesus Christ never had long hair. Why? Because Jesus knew long hair is for a woman's glory. Men are not supposed to look like that. There's a spiritual element of that. I'm not going to digress. But there's a spiritual element to the covering of a woman, a spiritual connection and reflection. And to glorify God for us, guys, we should not look like women or act like them. And don't be confused about the bathroom to go into. It's a sign of our times though brother, sadly, but yet I get off my point, what Paul is saying is it's important for us to recognize that you cannot force your faith on somebody, so just because you're up to speed on this, whatever this may be, and that individual is not, doesn't give you the right to try to force feed them, intervene, shove your level of understanding on them, not saying that you can't talk about the Bible, don't take me out of context. What I'm saying though is be cognizant, be cognizant through care, consideration, and courtesy about that individual's mental, emotional, conceptual identity with this Christian walk. Because this walk is a different walk. When you get involved with true Christianity and the true fundamentalism associated with a true relationship with God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, it is different. Totally different. Oh, on and on and on. No Trinity. Holy Day. Sabbath Day. No Sunday. I mean on and on and on. You can rattle them off. This is a whole new way of life. It's a whole different lifestyle. And when someone walks in here and all they've got on their mind is Saturday's the Sabbath. Saturday. <laughs> That's all they know. That's all they know. Or you know what? Guess what? I mean, you can't eat pork anymore. And I found out you guys are meeting on a Saturday. Oh, what? But But there are people that do come to us with all different levels and degrees of understanding and conversion. And depending on their religious background, be they Catholics, Presbyterians, like I said, Baptists and Anglicans and so on, uh, Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims as well, atheists and agnostics, they all come with different bags that they're carrying. Everybody's got a different size suitcase. Some come in with, uh, you know, garment bags. Others come in with backsacks. And others come in with these big suitcases. And others come in with trunks, you know, filled with all kinds of things. And until you get to know them and begin to interact and develop those relationships, All I'm saying is what Paul is saying here and that is walk gingerly, be soft, be sensitive, care, consideration, courtesy. Let me close out over here on Matthew 18 for a moment. You hear a lot about Matthew 18 in attempting to resolve issues between people and certainly there's great value in that portion of this chapter. But sometimes we tend to emphasize that more so than the warning that is earlier in the chapter that begins actually in verse six after it sets the tone with being and having the mind of a child. And being in God's church, as Jesus called little children in verse 2, you see this topic is set up with little children coming to him and him advising those that were in his audience that whosoever, verse 4, therefore therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive uh, one such little child in my name receives me, period. However, look look here now, verse 6, now he continues on the other side of the coin though, if you, but whosoever shall or who shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hung on his neck, and that he was drowned in the depth of the sea, woe unto the world because of offenses, and boy I'll tell you what, what a world we live in, it's all based on offenses, people offend one another in the things that we say to one another. Why? Because we all believe different things. So the point is well made. In a congregation, it's also the same. There is a level of commonality, of course, but the bottom line is we have to admit and recognize there are differences of understanding, differences of perception, differences of degrees in our conversion, and so on. So with all that being said, it goes to this point, be careful, woe to the world because of offenses, for it must needs that offenses come but woe to that man by whom the offense comes, wherefore and then he goes to hyperbole, he doesn't literally mean to cut your hand off but what he does mean is he's saying here hyperbole saying and stating the fact that look you need to really stop that. If what you're doing is offending a brother you need to really bear down and get to the bottom of that and knock it off cut it off, that's what he's saying here He's using hyperbole, but nevertheless, the point is well made. If your eye offends you, verse 9, cast out. Take heed that you despise, verse 10, not one of these little ones. This is Matthew 18, verse 10. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man uh, is come to save that which is lost. Don't get in Jesus' way as he works with those whom the Father has called them to him. (laughs) Far be it from us brethren to presumptuously attempt to intervene and try to usher in a little bit of rush uh, music you know so to speak and get them to move along faster than they're prepared to move along again don't take me out of context I'm not saying don't talk about the Bible I'm not saying don't interact and talk about God's truth of course do that just be cognizant of how and what you're saying and who you're saying it to so that you don't offend or you don't spin them out or you don't cause them to do something against their conscience and cause them to stumble. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 8, that's why I want you to read it, in 1 Corinthians 8 he talks about a guy who's in a place eating meats that were offered to idols and the person who's got a problem with that sees you in there eating the meat to offer to idols, so in his mind he says, yeah, hey, it's okay so to eat meats offered to idols. And he goes there and he starts eating it, but guess what, he wasn't prepared for that. He seared his conscience and lo and behold, you offended the guy. And he, one thing leads to another, gets detoured and leaves the church. And so what we're told here and warned uh, about very cautiously here, he says in verse 11, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. He says in verse 12, how think you if a man has a hundred sheep and then he proceeds to describe the fact that though you may not care, you may not be considerate, you may see the need for courtesy to this individual to be extended guess what? God went through a lot of hoops to get this person to hear his voice to get him or her where they are and far be it from us to ruin all that investment and time by our own selfish demeanors be careful brother Listen to the Apostle Paul, Romans 14. It's a great chapter.